Uh, I also have a list. This is a list. It's not as long as it's been in the past, but this is a list of everyone who had perfect attendance last year. So, uh, we have five individuals that had perfect attendance last year. I like, we like to keep track of that. It's a, we don't have any awards because just being here is an award itself. I invite you to turn again to 1 Peter. We'll try to end it before the next Christmas season. I don't know, what do we have? Just about 10 verses left. Not quite that. Uh, we are looking at that significant theme of Peter, which is our relationships. We've done that. We've returned there two weeks ago to talk about the pastor's relationship, his responsibilities within the context of the local church. Uh, last week, we looked at how the church is to respond to that leadership and, and how uh, God intended that to uh, work within his body that we have a shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is the head, and there is no doubt about that, although it seems in some churches that leadership forgets that, uh, that then we have under-shepherds, pastors, elders, bishops, uh, that fulfill that role, all pointing to the same office, that we, uh, that, that as a people, the church respond to, recognizing this is God's assignment in his life, and while it is something that he can look forward to, he must maintain his qualifications and the exercise of those duties. Uh, and, and we are called to submit to, the, to those leaders uh, that spiritually feed us, guide us, correct us, and provide us an example. So we looked at all of that last week. We're going to look at, this might seem upside down, we're kind of going from the top down in this pyramid of the concepts here, but this is how Peter presents it to us. And so we come now to understanding really what is the foundational attitude underneath this call to be submissive. And this is not anything new. And we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But let's just remind ourselves that while we are called to submit to authority, remember that the authority was also called upon to do it not as one who lords over those, but as an example to the flock, as a shepherd who walks among his people and not stands above them, uh, but rather walks among them. And a great difference between that, and it's going to reveal this same required principle attitudinally. And so let's pick up in verse 5, and we're going to read through verse 7, 5 through 7 of 1 Peter chapter 5. It says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. And that was the context of our entire message last week. We move on now today. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility, for God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And so we have before us a general call to be submissive one to another, that in the character of the church, submission is one of the hallmarks uh, that reflects something about our attitude, not only about one another, but of ourselves. And he quotes from the Proverbs there, uh, and if it seems a little bit different than if you go to that proverb 
that he, that he quotes out of is because he's quoting out of the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew, as most all of the New Testament authors do. They all quote out of the Septuagint, including our Lord in his uh, statements. And so he quotes there and he says, okay, the, the premise of this, the biblical premise of this, is that God resists the proud. Uh, this is, by the way, is in Proverbs 3. He resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He extends favor to those who humble themselves before him. And this is not the only place the New Testament is also used in James. We'll be looking at that shortly. But we find this is the, the evidence that there is some working of, of God's uh, justification and sanctification in our lives is that we are demonstrating this biblical humility. When we look at this concept of submission, it is not that, that we can then lord authority over one another. That is not really what's entailed here. How are we submissive to each other simultaneously is, is the quality of humility. And that's going to be defined for us. And because Peter takes us from submission, understand that the attitude behind submission is humility. Uh, and it is, it is not someone is, it is not that I am uh, inferior. And a lot of people confuse these. Humility does not mean necessarily that I am uh, somehow not intellectually or, or personality-wise or physically uh, uh, superior or, or equal to you, and therefore I'm inferior, and therefore I should submit. That is not the context of this whatsoever. The humility is not about that. And many people, when they communicate, trying to communicate really a false humility, uh, go in that direction. That somehow, oh, you're better than... And, and, and I'm inferior to everybody, and, I'm, and, the, and it's self-deprecating, and that really isn't humility. That's not the biblical concept. So let's look, since humility is the foundation of our mutual submission to one another, let's make sure we have a good handle on that, and then we're going to see how it interacts with submitting to authorities, because that's the context in which it's been presented to us here. And so we begin by going to Philippians. Let's go to Philippians and see... Paul's idea of, of humility, and you guys know that I've written extensively in this, in this uh, subject, so we could spend a lot of time here in this, in this part of the study. Uh, we, I could take weeks and weeks just to handle humility uh, because of its presentation consistently in God's Word, not referring just to the nature of the servants of God, but the nature of God himself. And we're going to find that exemplified for us here in Philippians chapter 2. And so let's read there. It says, verse 1, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. And that is the foundational principle of loving one another. And that unity, but let us see how it expresses itself. Verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look 
out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And we're going to stop right there. We're going to get to the exaltation aspects later on. Hopefully, this morning, we'll see how this goes. Uh, but we find that Jesus Christ is our example of what true humility is. Now, is Jesus Christ inferior? No, he, he was equal to God. He, he is God. He is co-regent with the Father. And so we find that here, we're not talking about being inferior. We're talking about humbling oneself. That is to take on a servant role for the benefit of others. That we esteem, that is considered, that we, that we measure them, we consider them others of significant enough value to empty ourselves out for their benefit. That is the foundation of biblical humility is loving servanthood. That we serve one another, even as our Lord, out of his love for us. And we all know that that's the, the, the premise, right? For God so loved the world that he gave. And so we understand that. Well, what does it require of us to give? Well, we need to look into people's lives, in their hearts, in their circumstances, and say, well, what are their needs? And when God looked at our needs, he recognized that we couldn't meet any of them and that he alone could accomplish our salvation, that we were lost and doomed without it, incapable of keeping any of the law substantially enough that we could qualify ourselves for heaven. And so he understood our need and the desperate condition of man, and that it was him alone who could meet that. And humility is that placing ourselves at the disposal of others for their benefit. Is there exaltation in the midst, at the, at the conclusion of that? Yes. And we'll get to that. But that is the essence of understanding how, what humility looks like uh, as you peer upon people's lives. It's not going around with your head hung low and dragging your feet and, and dressing doubtily. Um, it's none of that. that. That is all false. It's not, as I said earlier, putting yourself down and, and giving uh, false uh, concepts of value to other people. No, it is recognizing that anything that I am, may have uh, an advantage in life over you is at your disposal for your benefit. I am not going to use those things for my benefit to pursue my ends, but rather as a servant of the living God, they are at your disposal to help meet your needs. And Christ being my example. And so I want to be Christ-like in humility. And, and Paul repeatedly here in Philippians 2 tells us where this originates. It's not in your heart. It's not in your bowels. Bowels are where your feelings are. Hearts where your will is. It's in your mind. That you have a mindset of servanthood. And that will produce the will, the choice, 
the heart to submit to one another. But it begins with a mindset of servitude. That I'm here to serve the living God, and that means I'm going to serve his people, and I'm going to serve his message, which is the gospel, for the lost. And so my servanthood isn't just confined to the local church, it really is for the world. Because Christ is my example. Did he die for just the elect? No, he died not only for those that believe, but for all men, especially for those that believe, the Bible says, which means that, that he died for all. He served all mankind. And it became effectual for those who believed, uh, but that's not the only people he loved. Oh no, he loved everyone. And so we have this, this principle at work that should be evident in the church that we are here in, in the, the state, in the condition, the mindset that says, I'm here to serve, not myself, but others, not just me and mine. And many people try to exercise this within the context of just their, their immediate family. Well, I'm just going to, I'm going to serve my family. And I've run into people like that, some friends of mine in the past who were in ministry well, my first priority is to my family. And I was like, well, that's not your only priority. But that's what has consumed you. Because really, it's just me and mine. And as long as that is our mentality, I'm here to serve me and mine, uh, you are not Christ-like in any capacity. And what you're going to communicate to your children by serving them in that capacity is, is not... You're not transferring humility to them, I guarantee you. It is a dead end because it is false concept that somehow serving me and mine is, is being Christ-like. And so I challenge it usually when I encounter it, and I was like, well, that's just you and yours. What else are you serving? And so we serve our local church. Well, that's still mine. That's my church. Okay, what is, where is it going to go beyond that? Well, we need to serve our community. We're going to serve, and we extend that and extend that, extend that. And that's what Paul kept calling people to. Even the, the uh, morally corrupted Corinthian church was challenged to serve the church in Jerusalem. Get outside of just thinking of just you yourselves. And, and expand the concepts of servanthood that I'm here to serve the weak. I'm here to serve the stranger that we talked about earlier in, in, uh, this, in the earlier passage. And so we're here to serve. Once that defines us in our mind and we have that mentality, then submission is evident. Because I have esteemed, that is thought of, in my mind, that's why he says, in lowliness of mind, so I'm not thinking about myself, it's not I'm thinking of myself badly, it is I'm not thinking of myself at all. In lowliness of mind, I am considering others. I am thinking and, and dwelling on what their needs are. That as I go through my day, and I think uh, that that is not something that is by happen chance. Well, if I come across it, and I think of it, I'll pray for you. you know, but no, it's a, it's a drive, and it's something I plan for and, and, and meditate upon, that I consider what their needs are, 
how my resources can, can uh, address those needs and what those abilities that God has granted me can serve those needs. And so this is the definition, the biblical definition of humility. And we don't want to get caught up in the modern concepts of humility and how they are uh, projected in society today. Uh, rather, we have to understand that in, in the Bible's Understanding humility is servanthood. It is saying, I will look to the needs of others and grant them access to my resources that their needs can be met. And so when he calls upon us all to be submissive to one another, he is not imagining that we are walking in a church and saying, oh, whatever you want, whatever you want, whatever you want, and you guys are all walking around, whatever you want, whatever you want. That is not an Eastern concept of what submission is about. It is about recognizing, and we're going to deal with it with respect to authority, because that's the context here, and in every place we're going to talk about submitting to authorities. But when we talk about submitting to one another, we are talking about considering each other's needs in a servant mentality. If I'm the servant, and I'm esteeming all of you as someone to be served, I have a very different attitude. And you all recognize that. You all know when you go into a restaurant, uh, and you know whether someone has a willingness to serve you, or if they're just put off by the fact that they have to deal with you as part of their job. You know the difference. We recognize it pretty quick. Well, if someone has an attitude, they're willing to make sure that you have a great experience in this meal, not just because they want a big tip, but because that's part of the role of being a waiter or waitress, as part of the role of being a clerk, as part of the role of customer service in any capacity, is to make sure that you have uh, a, an enjoyable and, and beneficial experience in that environment. Now, is the end result of that uh, a better tip and a better experience certainly should be, but doesn't always in this world because there's grumpy old people that never, grumpy young people that never give you tips. I shouldn't just say old people um, that that won't recognize that kind of service because they don't give it themselves and they expect it for themselves. And so when we encounter it, we should recognize it and we should. Uh, Put some benefit there, and if you're in a setting where it's not a customer service role that you don't do that demonstrably through a tip, you can do it in other ways, and you should, for their benefit, because that's a biblical concept. Those who serve well will be rewarded. When we're serving as God, the reward we're looking for is eternal. And so we have the fact that God himself is against the proud, and that is those that are only interested in me and mine, me and mine, me and mine, and are fixated upon that, that God resists that. He is, he is opposed to them. He is not going to help them and encourage them. In fact, they're going to be pretty much miserable. But it is grace that is to be granted to those who are humble. And we're going to look at that grace as the other side of this expression 
uh, and in submission. But let's look at the first side first. So let's look at this idea of submission uh, in the context here. Every single place that I can find, just in a quick perusal, I didn't, I'm not going to say I did an exhaustive study of this, where you are called to submit to authorities, it is in the context, either prior to it or immediately following it, that you're also called to submit to one another. Isn't that interesting? Let's just look at them very quickly. You guys were in Romans 13 this morning in your adult Sunday school class. Let's start there. I wasn't going to start there, but since you've already been there, let's go there. Romans chapter 13. You already have read it. If you're here, it says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. And so there it is. Be submissive to those authorities. For there is no authority except from God. The authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. And, and so and then he goes on explains the purpose of those authorities. And so here we have a uh, description of, well, you're supposed to submit to authorities. You're supposed to uh, grant to them your uh, servanthood, if you will, to their uh, roles that God has ordained for them in your life. Now, what is the context of this? Well, you have to go back to the prior chapter. In the prior chapter, we have, be kindly, and I'm sorry, chapter 12, verse 10, we have, again, this general statement that affects our attitude. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor, giving preference to one another. That's that same concept of submitting to one another, giving preference to one another. That is that I'm here to serve you. I esteem you better than myself, therefore you are worthy of my resources being expended upon you. I give you preference over my, me. That we are to give that kind of attitude to one another. And so it isn't just submit to authorities, it's out of the mentality, the mindset of servanthood, we are giving preference to one another, and we understand that here is one category that we are called to give preference to, and that is to government authorities. That I defer there, I submit to those authorities, not as the highest authority, but as a derived authority from God that God has sanctioned and put up upon me, and so I... I wise as servants but harmless as a dove will engage that authority with this attitude that I give preference to others before myself. Because those authorities, while they may make your life maybe a little bit uncomfortable or inconvenient uh, and even downright harsh, are really there to, for your benefit. And that's what's described there in Romans 13 that for the benefit of humanity, there is a need sometimes for a heavy-handed authoritarian government. Is it ever going to be perfect? No, not until Jesus Christ is the heavy-handed authoritarian government. He does come with a rod of iron, folks. So we're not against authoritarianism, just that we, when we sinners are, have authority, we know that they're going to sin in that authority. But we still have responsibility there. The attitude is one of humility that prefaces submission. 
So that's one that you already spoke of this morning. Uh, of course, another area we talk about quite a bit is about the role between husbands and wives. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. Here wives are told to be submissive to their husbands, and, uh, and that is taught very heavily. Verse 22 of Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. And so we have this instruction here to wives. And again, uh, the, the action of submission, and that is an action, I would con contend, is derived from an attitude of humility, of servanthood, that I'm here to serve my family and my husband. And just as his requirement is to serve his wife by loving her and caring for her, her servanthood is recognizing God's authority that is placed upon his shoulders. But look again at the context. The context, if you go back, you don't have to go back very far this time. Uh, just one verse. Verse 21. It says, submitting to one another in the fear of God. And so the wife submitting to her husband isn't an odd thing because we already have a mindset of servanthood toward one another entirely within the, the body of Christ. And so I'm here to serve you. And you're here to serve me. And so I go to, the, to India and I'm there to serve them. And, and they want to serve me. And, and, and that's what we do. I serve in the capacities I'm able to serve in. They serve in the capacities they're able to serve in. And the body of Christ is built up as every member does its part. Not for themselves, but for each other. Mutual servanthood. And so we have this attitude that I'm not here to be prated about and I don't want to just, just be the recipient. I want to be the participant in this <laughs> symphony of service in the church. So wives, uh, out of the, this mindset of servanthood comes an instruction Submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. And it shouldn't be that hard. Because you already have a mindset within the church. If that is there, then extending that to your husband shouldn't be difficult. The problem is we're not focused on the mindset of servanthood within the church based upon a biblical concept of humility, and therefore it doesn't get expressed toward our government, it doesn't get expressed in our families, and it goes even further. I'm not done. Peter here, of course, is within the church, right? In 1 Peter 5, it's about submit to those authorities within the church. And of course, we see the direct connection immediately following, submit to one another. All right, how about one more? Let's go to James, James chapter 4. And it's kind of implied here in Ephesians uh, that the church submits to Christ there in Ephesians. Let's go to James chapter 4. And this is where this very same verse is used. <clears throat> it says, uh, verse, uh, let's, uh, oh, where do we want to pick up at? Let's read verse 1. We'll start there. Where do wars and fights come from among you? 
Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war against your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. That is the opposite of servanthood. It's self-serving. Or do you think the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double mind. Lament, mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. He will lift you up. All right, that's about submission to God, right? Be submissive to God. Be subject to him. Serve him. Uh, and it specifically says, verse 7, submit to God. Uh, what is the context of all of this? Um, For James, it's, it's both ends, before and after. We have the concepts of the relationship within the church being one of concern for one another. Let's just go to the last one, verse 11 and following. I could go into chapter 3 as well. Um, where it talks about the evil of self-seeking. I want to get the positive statement. It says, Do not speak evil of one another, brethren. He who speaks evil of brethren judges the brother, speaks evil of the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Keep going. There's one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy. Who are you to judge another? Come now, you who says today or tomorrow will go in such and such city, spend a year there and sit by sell, uh, and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. Therefore, to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And I really need to keep reading in chapter 5, but I'm not going to have enough time for that. But we, we find that the whole context before even is... Don't self-seek, don't self-seek, don't self-seek at the end of chapter 3. That that is not wisdom. The wisdom that is from above is peaceable, it is pure, it is gentle, is willing to yield. In verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17, full of mercy and good fruits. That willingness to yield that is opposed to, on the other side, of this uh, self-seekingness. So if we have this mentality that I am willing to yield, even my submission to God becomes easier. That's how critical it is that we have a servant attitude toward one another. Well, I, want, I know I should obey God. Well, um, how do you practice that? You will learn how to obey God when you learn how to be submissive one to another. And that is the context here. And when he says, submit to God and draw near to him, well, we all want that, but we forget the context here is that we ought to be engaged in a peaceable, gentle, yielding relationships laterally with one another. And so here, God, church, family, government, and if you want to extend chapter 5, Jesus Christ and the church, 
all is, we are all called to submit in those relationships to authority. And the premise behind that consistently in God's word is that this is evidence, this attitude, this mindset is best and first demonstrated perhaps in our relationship within the church. Do you have a servant attitude to those who are near at hand? Remember we talked about the pastor that serve those that are among you. All right? That's serve those that are among you. And that's where it begins. I, I'm going to serve those that are among me as the pastor. I'm not going to try to serve uh, people all over. Uh, I have an opportunity to do that if I'm among them. Uh, but right now I'm among you, and I want to serve you with all that I have. And, and you can say, oh, well, you know, you don't have a great international ministry. You don't have a huge church, and therefore, you know, you're going to give them uh, proportionately less. No. We serve those that God's placed us among with all of our capacity. And so we find that this is the evidence. So once we do that within the local church, serving one another, exercising our spiritual gifts for the benefit of the flock, and not for my own interest, but for your interest, for your welfare, now extending that to my family, extending that to my government, extending that to my God, extending that, it becomes so much easier. It's just a natural next step. This is the place we are trained in the mindset of servanthood, is in the local church. And I would contend that it is the best place for it to be exercised. And that's, and I don't say that thoughtlessly, because many people conjecture will, will state with just so, as much adamacy that the best place is in the home to do that. And again, uh, it, it is very easy in that context to, to become isolated. It's me and mine. And we have seen that. We have seen that uh, within our own church historically and other church, I've seen that in ministry, uh, even pastors getting wrapped up in that, my, my, it becomes an obsession just to serve their own family. And so I'm not even sure that is the best place. I believe the best place is within the context of a local church. Because you have an opportunity to serve those who um, may not really, uh, from whom you may not benefit at all. In the home, that's just not the case. Let's be honest, right? If you, if you serve your children well, you're going to benefit. Would you agree? Would you serve your husband well? You're going to be the benefactor of that. Uh, if your children serve their parents well, they will be benefited by that. Uh, and, and, and that reciprocation is almost immediate. Not always, but almost immediate. Um, and thus it serves my interest. But here in the local church, you have an opportunity to serve the body of Christ that you don't have to wake up to in the morning and face them every day. Uh, they are here worshiping by choice by, and not by uh, necessity. Uh, they, you have an opportunity to serve one another in the context not of this is my flesh and bone, this is my kin, this is my, I have to live with these people every day. 
right? I don't have to serve based on that, that mindset. I have a mindset of pure servanthood. And that's why I think it is best practiced in the local church. And then it spills out from there. And that's why I think for the wife to submit to the husband, for the citizens to submit to their government, and uh, in, in these passages and here in Peter, for the people to submit to their uh, pastor, elder, bishop, for um, the Christian to submit to God, all come back to submit to one another. It just keeps coming back to that. Isn't that interesting? That all these other areas of submitting to authorities come back to submitting to peers. You see, if you maltreat your peers, you're going to have a really hard time with authorities. And you might think it's the other way around, but it really isn't. Because the Bible makes it very clear. Submit to one another, submit to one another, submit to one another. Out of that submission, submit to your husband. Out of that submission, submit to your pastor. Out of that submission, submit to your government. Out of that submission, submit to your God. Now, how critically important is it that you learn and do servant ministry in the church? I think it's pretty critical when it's attached to every other part of your life to understand the role of servanthood submission. So that is a quick overview of four areas and each area here in Scripture to demonstrate that, that submitting to one another, as Peter instructs them here, James instructs in, in James, Paul instructs both in Romans and in Ephesians, we see it clearly. That we submit to each other. Servant mindset. Can I serve you? How can I serve my church? Whether it benefits me or not. How do I serve them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? With the fullness of scripture. And again, we have already covered much of this as we went over that in chapter 4. And we looked at the fact that the end of all things at hand. So what's one of the elements that evidences that you really believe that is that you will minister the gift that is given to you. That was back in verse 10 of the last chapter, right? You're going to minister This is the exercise of servanthood. So this is one side of the coin of humility. Of the passage, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. That is one side of that. And now in our experience, there's another side. I've not even gotten to the exaltation yet, so don't think that's the other side. If you thought that, uh (laughs) aha. The other side of it is that there's a lot of risk doing this. Submission is risky business. Having a servant mindset among people who are self-absorbed is risky. Because they will take it for granted, they will abuse it, correct? And they will not respond properly and, and even maltreat it. 
So when I come to the context of a local church filled with people with varying personalities and, and things, and I'm coming with a full submissive servanthood mindset, saying I'm going to pour out my resources for their good, um, whatever it may be, and I'm going to uh, open it all up, and, and there's no facet of my life that isn't going to be engaged in this concept of servanthood, I'm going to try to exercise full biblical humility. Okay, remember Jesus Christ, did he just pour out a little bit of himself? He emptied himself for us. If we come to servanthood with that kind of mindset, and it's, it's a dangerous one. Was it dangerous for our Lord to come with that kind of a mindset? Oh, it cost him. Are we prepared for that kind of cost? Well, Peter anticipates that because Peter's been a servant of the church for many years by the time we get to this passage. And he understands the cost, and he understands that his paying that cost isn't over yet because of what Christ told him the days before his ascension. And so our sentence isn't quite done yet. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, it says in verse 6, that he may exalt you in due time. We're going to get to that. But I want to attach, realize the sentence isn't done to you. Get to verse 7. Casting all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. What is that? Why is that part of a sentence on submission and humility? It seems like it doesn't quite fit. Casting all my cares upon him because he cares for me? upon him because he cares for me? How does that tie into the concept of submitting to one another, being clothed with humility, and humbling ourselves before God that he could exalt us? Because there is a genuine and real risk involved in, in servanthood mindset. You're going to get burned. Because even in your service to those in authority over you, within your family, within your church, um, in all of those, uh, not with God, but in your service to them, you're going to be maltreated, unappreciated. You're going to say, where's the return? And it's going to be costly. And it's very simple for us to, to recoil from that, having been burned once or twice, say, oh, I'm not going to ever do that again. That hurt. That's the natural man. To say, I'm not going to extend myself like that because that was painful. I gave and gave and gave and then I got attacked and, and, and now they're out of my life and, and I don't want to have that ever again. And what is the first thing we do is we put up these barrier walls and now we are regressed. We are in there worrying about our own interests instead of the interests of others. I say, well, that's not pride, that's self-preservation. Self-preservation is pride at work, brethren. Please understand that. And so what is the answer when I get burned and get burned, I keep giving and giving, it keeps being malused, it keeps being, I keep being maltreated, I, 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 I submit and then it, these people just stomp all over me. What is this, the solution? The solution is given by Peter. It says, cast all your cares on him. For he does care for you. Jesus Christ does keep records. Did you know that? He's an accountant. 
He's keeping tabs. He knows what you have done and the motive for doing that. And he knows that they have received from you and have not shown any thankfulness for that. Whether it be a child, whether it be a husband, whether it be a congregation, whether it be a nation. Christ knows. And so we cast those cares, those burdens, that as we submit to one another, and I have a servant mindset, and then I get burned in the midst of that, I do not recoil. I go to God and say, I'm going to keep serving, Lord, because you died for me. You gave it all for me. And I want to serve you like you've served me by giving everything, even to those who reject me. Did Jesus Christ serve those who rejected him? Absolutely. He was despised and rejected of man. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Yet, he persisted. Oh, that we persist. Now, I'm not going to tell you that every time I've opened up my home, my family, my, my resources to other people, that it all went spectacularly, because it hasn't. I join you in the experience of the pain of being rejected, of being maltreated after being do, trying to do so much for people. And I understand the <laughs> natural man's response to say recoil. Ah, uh, why am I doing as a pastor? I'm just going to resign this, this Lord's Day. I'm done. This hurts too much. If you don't think that's ever crossed my mind, um, you have way too high an estimation of who I am. Because <laughs> it has. Because it's painful. It's painful as a pastor. It's painful um, I'm, as a, a wife, I'm sure, to submit to her husband and him maltreat her and not love her as God calls, her to, calls him to. Uh, I, I'm sure that in every instance it's painful because it's painful within the context of the local church to care for other people and them to just spit upon it and, and walk away from it. But I cannot let that tarnish my mindset of servanthood. Christ came to his own, his own received him not. But he served them to death, even the death of the cross. So though they reject me, though there is pain there, and though there is maltreatment there, we persist in serving them. And that is in every context within the local Within the home, wives, submit to your husbands. I mean, it makes it very clear in Scripture, even if they don't obey the truth. Which means they're not going to treat you well. You're going to persist in that. Because you have a mindset of servanthood. That I'm going to persist in serving my government. I don't agree with them, and I, and I, and I tell you that, that when we're doing civil disobedience, we're doing it out of respect and honor, and, and, and we're willing to accept the penalty of that, uh, but we're doing it because for the benefit of our country. But by and large, we seek to and strive to be submissive in our serving our country. And I'm not opposed to that. I don't want to do evil to my community, to my nation, though they want to do evil to me. Within the local church, 
that we serve one another. And when someone burns us in the midst of that and we want to quit and we because it hurts, because we lose nights of sleep over the injury that they have caused upon us, we come, should come to this verse and remind ourselves of verse 7. Cast those cares upon Christ. He cares for you. Because a servant mindset is dangerous. It has inherent problems because you're serving sinners. Even within the context of the church, you're serving saints who sin. And therefore, you're going to be injured along the way. And that should be okay with you. Is it okay for them? I don't think so. I think God keeps records of that. And he knows. But for us, we cast those cares upon. We cast those hurts. We cast those concerns. We cast the costliness of our servanthood on Christ. And say, Lord, I poured out what I could, and, and they rejected it. And I remind myself, oh, you poured out everything you could, and men reject you. But that you didn't stop serving them. You served them to death. And so we have to cast those cares to able, enable ourselves to persist in this mindset of servanthood within the church. We're going to have to have, a, on a regular basis, understanding that I have to... <laughs> cast my costliness that I have had to pay out of my heart, out of my soul, out of my pocketbook, out of my time, out of all those resources I've poured out for these individuals who then just spurn it and, and turn away. Um, even within my family, I pour this out for the benefit of my kids and they just spur it and pull. What do I do? I cast those cares upon Christ because he cares for me. Because you see... A servant mindset says, I'm caring for others. Who's going to care for me? Well, technically, if the whole church has got a servant mindset, we're caring for each other, aren't we? So there is reciprocation. But sometimes it doesn't happen. So what happens when it doesn't? Well, I go to God, and he cares for me all the time. So he meets my needs. He cares for me, and so I recognize I have paid this price, and now I am out all of this, and there's no evidence in, my, in our church, in our society, in our home, that this servant activity had any, made any difference. It made no difference, and you can't believe how many times my wife and I have made that statement to each other in our conversation. Does any of this make any difference? Are we making any difference in anybody's life? Because that's really all we want to do is make a difference in people's lives. And we look at each other and, and it's not always easy to answer that. But I can come to God and cast that care upon him and, and recognize you've made a huge difference in my life. And I want, and by your sacrifice, and if by my sacrifice, um, I can demonstrate my thanksgiving to you, and if it makes a difference in one person's life, then it'll, I have to count that worthwhile. But even if none respond, I will keep serving you, Lord. 
because you take care of me. And we can put him to that. This is a promise of God. Cast your cares upon him. He cares for you. We can lay that at his feet. We can put that before his throne. And we can say, Lord, I poured it out. And there's nothing seeming to show for it but pain and, and hurt and, and brokenness and, and loneliness sometimes. And whatever it is, and I pour that out and God says, I'll take care of you. And he does. If we trust him. Problem is we internalize all those cares. We try to protect ourselves from ever getting hurt again instead of just saying, I'm still alive, so I haven't paid the price Jesus paid for me. So I'll keep serving. That's why this phrase is in this verse. We often take it out of its context um, and put it on a wall, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. And we think, well, that means... Uh, my mortgage and all these other things that are things that are weighing on my mind because we're so me and my centered in our thinking. No, the reason this verse is here is because at the end of the day, when you've poured yourself out as a servant of God, humbly serving his people and beyond and those in authority over you, and you get burned, you cast that upon Jesus Christ and he'll care for you to enable you to keep serving. That's the implication here. And in the end, <laughs> as we are faithful to serve him, even through that, those painful times when we don't recoil back into our natural man, but we keep ministering the Spirit, we recognize that in due time, he will exalt us. And that exaltation is not of this world as we've spoken before. I don't want to be exalted here, because that's temporal, that's limited, that's finite. I want to be exalted. I want to be lifted up with Christ um, in an age to come in his kingdom. I want to be there to, be, to, to serve his kingdom where he awards it and not fickle men and institutions of men. And so we cast these cares on him when we are burned so we can persist and with that persistence in servant-mindedness, there is reward. But we also recognize that there is a loss of reward should we not maintain faithfulness. The book of Hebrews speaks extensively about that. Galatians tells us, don't go back. Why are you going back to that law stuff? Persist. And part of persisting in our Christian walk is to maintain a servant's mentality, no matter the response of men to that service. And so we open up our pocketbooks, and we open up our homes, and we open up our pantries, we open up our transportations, we open up our time, we open up our love, we open up our hearts, we open them up to each other. Because we esteem one another better than ourselves. This is humility that drives servanthood. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the challenge from your word this morning and for the promise that you'll care for us. Lord, help us to 
be sure to be faithful. For so often we claim your promises and forget their conditions. And it is very clear the conditions of this promise is that we maintain our humility in serving one another and serving you and submitting to authorities as we care for one another. Lord, keep our minds stayed on Jesus Christ, our example. We thank you for him so much. And we are so sorry for those times that we've done injury to his sacrifice by adding to it with our sin and unbelief. Forgive us of that. And help us to walk faithfully, even to death, as you have shown us, because we consider these around us to be worthy of our sacrifice. That we consider those in our homes to be worthy of sacrificing our own interests. That we consider those within our nation worthy of our sacrifice, whether they are or not. We consider them thus. That we consider our husbands worthy of submission. That we consider the pastor worthy of submitting to, even as we consider our government authorities worthy of it. Again, whether they have attained to that worth, that we esteem them that way. Lord, keep this mind in us that you had with regard to us when we were worthless. You counted us worthy of the gospel, of your son's death. Lord, thank you so much only for that covering, but also for the power of the resurrection that we look forward to in that day of reward. In Christ Jesus' name we pray, amen.